Spotlights is a series of online events and publications focusing on a particular group of victim survivors who are often hidden from services. As part of the Safe Life Spotlight on domestic abuse and young people, this week my colleague Emma has gone to the University of Manchester to speak to Professor David Gadd. Through his research project, Boys to Men, David explores why some boys become abusive in their relationships and what professionals can do to support young men to recognise and stop abusive behaviour. We hope you find it interesting and informative, whether you're a practitioner, an academic, or even an adult or young person who may relate to these experiences. So I've come to Manchester University this afternoon to meet with Professor David Gadd, um, who's done some work on a project called Boys to Men. Welcome to Safe Lives, David. Thank you, Thank you very much for your time and, and joining us to create this podcast. Um, can you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself, you know, how you came to be working on or, or came to be developing this Boys to Men project? Yeah, well, as you know, I'm a criminologist and much of my research over the last 15, 20 years has been focused around domestic violence. Uh, I actually started out, my, my first work, my doctoral work was, a, was about men as perpetrators of domestic violence, as well as men who were working in the, the sector. And then the question was, you know, could the the men who are on the perpetrator programs become like the men who are doing anti-sexist work in the sector. And I guess having thought about that, I wanted to take a step back and really ask the question of well, what do we need to do to stop men actually needing these kinds of interventions? How could we reduce the demand uh, for what are often actually quite oversubscribed services? And I think that means starting to look at younger groups in the population. Um, if you do look at kind of statistical information about this, particularly for victimisation. We know that the sort of peak age for victimisation is somewhere between the sort of mid-teens and mid-twenties. So that's when the problem is actually at its most acute or appears to be at its most acute. Mm -hmm. um, of course, we know that some offenders will become worse than that as they get older and many people will leave abusive relationships. But there seems to be something to be, to be gained from looking at younger groups in the population. Okay, thank you. So what were you hoping to find out when you when you started the Boys to Men project? What were the aims of the project? Well, the project was um, about trying to understand why some young people become involved in abusive relationships, why some young men become abusive in their relationships, and what can really be done to reduce that, bring it to an end, or even to stop some young men being violent at all. Um, I can tell you a little bit about how we went to on to try and res res yeah. res research that yeah, if you'd like. So we, we adopted a, a mixed methods approach in the study. There were three key parts. The three parts though were, were as follows. We did a, a, a survey of 1,200 young people who were aged uh, 13 to 14 who were all in schools and that was the quantitative part of our work, measuring attitudes uh, towards domestic violence. And then uh, following on from that, we did a series of, of focus groups with young people. Um, some were school children who'd experienced kind of preventative education. Some were perpetrators in perpetrator programs. Some were substance abusers. Some were care leavers. Some were kids in uh, youth clubs and that, that kind of kind of thing. 
And though we were kind of interested in exploring issues around the meaning of domestic abuse for young people, and then the third and, and final part of the of the field work, we tried to, and we did, interview 30 uh, young men aged uh, 16 and above, I think 16 to 21 they were, um, about their involvement in violence in relationships. Um, it was quite difficult to separate them out from each other. Uh, many of them have been violent in relationships. Uh, some of them had just lived with violent parents. Um, often there was overlap between the two. Mm -hmm. Some had experienced violence from a partner, although in many of those cases they'd also been abusive back. Um, and we we interviewed those young people about their, their life stories and got them to tell their accounts of what had happened to them. So the project then had the ambitious job of trying to join all those things together. Right, okay. <laughs> And what did you find? What were your main findings from the, from the research? Um, well, we found lots of different things and lots of different things in different parts of the project. So in the first part of the project, we found that a substantial uh, number of young people, I think it was a third of, of young women and about half of young men, could think of circumstances when it would be okay, as they saw it, to hit a partner, and okay was the term we used, not that you had to do it, but just it could be okay. Mm -hmm. uh, and the circumstances in which young people tend to think it was okay would be uh, if the partner had been unfaithful, uh, or if they'd been hit first. Uh, and both of those things kind of matter when you start to then explore, as we did in the second part of the the project, the meaning of domestic abuse, which is obviously much bigger than just being being hit, could include yeah. uh, emotional abuse, financial abuse, controlling behaviour, coercive behaviour in a sexual relationship. So when we started to talk to young men, particularly in the, in the focus groups, almost universally they all said it was wrong, you know, and they, mm -hmm. when they saw this video of this boy being aggressive towards his girlfriend, they all said this was just, just really terrible uh, and that someone needed to challenge him about his behaviour. So you could say, well, there's nothing more to do. They all got the message there. They all understand the things that everybody working in the sector is trying to get across them. They know that it is wrong. Um, but of course, there are lots of shades of grey in that. And so many young men, including those that you know seem to have quite progressive views, could come to an understanding of why it might be okay or, or necessary to be controlling uh, in a relationship. Um, lots of young men said, you know, if they felt insecure, if, if another young man was feeling insecure in a relationship, if their partner was going out and they didn't know if they were going to be faithful to them, they could see why that person might feel the need to, to check up on their phone or behave in a controlling way. And then within that population of young men, you've got some men who could say, well, if it, if she became aggressive back to me, then, you know, you might have to stand up for your yourself and then the physical violence might be all right. The other thing about those focus groups though is that one thing that young men, and we may come back to this later in the interview, one of the things that everybody almost had in common is that they wanted trusting relationships. Yeah. Nobody wanted to be in a relationship where there was no trust. The difficulty is that most people don't actually have a sense of how to establish trust in a relationship. Mm -hmm. And this, we'll come back to what that means for interventions I, I hope, but uh, 
this had this was also of relevance to the young men that we spoke to in the third phase of the project. So, so moving on then from that, um, David, what what do you, what is your view about effective interventions to support these young men to mm -hmm. to change their behaviour? Well, I think they have to happen at several different levels. Um, so, I mean, if you think about the three phases of the project, there's something to be done with the general population of young men mm -hmm. and young women. And whilst the young men tended to, you know, there were more young men in the general population that can think of circumstances when violence is okay. There are also a substantial, you know, a third of young women in the project could think of circumstances when mm -hmm. it would be okay. For there to be violence and so you know putting that together some of the boys sat next to some of the girls would share that view so i think there has to be something done just at the level of sort of primary education kind of level and often in schools you know we have we have kind of sex education or we teach young people about respect or we tell them that sexism is wrong and i think the messages or the engagement that needs to come across needs to be a little bit more emotionally literate than that now um, I mean, people don't go into relationships for those reasons, particularly. They go into relationships because they want somebody in their life, somebody yeah. that understands them or is close to them. Often people are looking for, you know, for a soulmate or a partner or somebody special to make them feel special. So we need to talk to young people about issues around love and vulnerability and, and trust. And, and it was interesting in the research that, that young men said that, that nobody talks to them about those things right. and those are the things of course that, that hit you very hard when you enter a first relationship they're, they're the things that people are fearful of when a relationship ends the, the loss of the love the feelings yeah. of vulnerability um, but of course helping young people to understand that you know the, the sharing of vulnerability is part of what makes a good relationship makes for closeness is is part of the message and it's very rare that you mm. you see that in domestic violence education programs. Um, the other thing to say about that is that these things need to be joined up and they need to be joined up in at least two ways. Um, they need to be joined up for young people who are already excluded or becoming excluded from mainstream education. We did interview young men in the project, you know, who'd been put in pupil referral units or taken out of mainstream education because their behaviour was already becoming problematic. So we have to really make sure that, that young men that are in the criminal justice system or excluded from schools are, are being engaged with on this level. Mm -hmm. And it's simply not acceptable, particularly where you know a young person is being, is, has been violent, to just not engage with that subject. Um, there may be a need for punishment at some level, but it's important that the sentence actually takes the substantive issue in, mm -hmm. in, in hand. Uh, and it can be really problematic where uh, a criminal justice worker may say, well, let's focus on the, the drinking or the shoplifting or the street fighting or the drug use and overlook what's also going on in that person's uh, personal relationships. And uh, you touched on this um, when you were just answering my question before, David, but what, what's, what about interventions once young people have started to display mm -hmm. or engage in, yeah. um, in abusive behaviours? What sort of interventions are effective at that point for, once well, those individuals are identified? I think we're at first base really with that in that there are very few, well, there are very few interventions that have lasted long enough directly with young men that are being abusive. Uh, to be properly evaluated and right. rolled out. So it's not like there's simply a manual of best practice out there waiting to be mm. picked up. 
the big problem in, in the UK and in, in probably in most countries is there are almost no services for young men aged sort of 15 to 21 who are starting to become abusive where they can actually self-refer without incriminating themselves. You know, mm -hmm. we did interview young men in this project, you know, who had sexually assaulted uh, a partner. In one case, we interviewed a young man whose very first sexual experience was having sex with a woman who was too drunk to know and too unconscious to know uh, that he was doing it, but he was, wasn't going to turn himself into the, the police and say, I've got a problem here. So we do need to find a, a way in which young men who can see themselves and have a problem can seek some support for that. Uh, and that's really difficult because it's very difficult to make the case. Um, I'm sure people who work for Safe Lives know it's very difficult to make the case for investment in mm -hmm. dangerous people. Yeah. Uh, but the one thing I would say is that many of these dangerous people are also very vulnerable people and many of them you know, had lived through lots of dangers themselves, you know. There were lots of young men uh, in the research who had grown up with domestic violence, who had been very afraid as infants, and it's only as they become became older men, they started to say, well, I'm going to look after myself, I'm going to look after the people around me. Uh, and often that was a step into being quite paternalistic in their relationship with women. They wanted to protect the women mm -hmm. in their lives, their mums, their sisters, their girlfriends, but of course that came with certain expectations and when the women contravened those expectations that's when conflict arose and sometimes violence arose so i think service providers who are working in the area need to really be alive to that complexity that may well follow that there's going to be some really difficult and painful stories behind uh, the behavior of young men that behave in very dangerous and disturbing ways at that age it doesn't just doesn't just come out of nowhere uh, and whilst you know some of it is charged with sexism, some of it is is uh, justified through sexism. Sexism in itself doesn't always simply cause violence, particularly the more physical, sadistic mm -hmm. forms of it. You know, people can hold sexist values and not not behave in aggressive ways. So it's, it's often more complicated than that. I think many of the young men really needed somebody to talk to, um, somebody to confide in, somebody who could show them what a trusting relationship was. Mm. You know, the relationship needed to be built with that young person. It would often be quite turbulent. It would often take quite a lot of time before the young person realised that they needed to share something uh, with, with, that, uh, with that worker. And providing that con contact, I think, is really difficult for teenagers who are starting to have problems with violence because they suddenly disappear from, from school. Mm -hmm. um, they may get themselves involved in the criminal justice system, but there's no guarantee that there's going to be a caseworker that really has the time and space to probe what's going on there, helping them realise that the things that they've done have gone wrong don't necessarily need to be reproduced in the future. Um, helping them, as I said before, recognise that trust in a relationship is not going to come from managing and controlling a partner is actually is about letting go to some degree of, uh, and seeing what, what happens are really kind of tough messages that mm. have to get across but need to be done in, in you know in careful, kind, caring, uh, working relationships where the worker has some space to keep the young person in mind. And mm -hmm. uh, that, that's really difficult in highly pressured yeah. uh, service jobs these days. Yeah. yeah.
yeah absolutely those are really useful messages though for people that are you know mm. are working with yeah. young men um well and young women um so the, so the project is um has concluded now mm -hmm. what um uh, what resources what what kind of um what what is available now for mm -hmm. people who are working with young people who might be able to kind of learn or use your research mm -hmm. um, in their work what's what's available to people now well the from boys to men website uh, sorry let me start again the, the from boys to men website uh, has all of the resources or nearly all the resources we produce so each phase of the project came with its own sort of practitioner friendly report which is free uh, to download we've also produced a sort of set of policy recommendations and some practice guidance there too um, for those that want a more advanced read the, the project has a, a book out with Polgrave young men and domestic abuce yeah. uh, which I need to do that again. It's called Routledge. <laughs> There's a book out um, called Young Men and Domestic Abuse with, with Routledge, or, which, are, which is Taylor, Taylor and Francis's uh, UK outlet that people can, can buy if they wish. Uh, but for most, for the most part, the online resources is probably the best, best place Fantastic. to start. <laughs> Thank you. That's been fascinating, uh, David. Thank you so much for your time. You're very welcome. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to find out more from Safe Life Spotlight on young people and domestic abuse, please go to our website, safelives.org.uk, where we'll be uploading new content every week, each exploring a different aspect of young people and domestic abuse. If you'd like to participate in the discussion, you can go to our website and sign up for the webinar on the 3rd of March, between 1 and 2pm, and also join in the Twitter Q&A conversation on March 15th, between 1 and 2pm. Just go to hashtag safe young lives.